my next stop on my journey of curiosity, which is what all this is, um, about the way the world ticks. It almost has a mind of its own, um, independent of even we humans. You know, I'm going to have a chat about that, actually. Um, there seems to be an artificial intelligence at play that even we, as a human race, uh, seem powerless to resist. It dictates certain things about our behaviours and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, one example is uh, when we began to domesticate plants and animals, um, which was a major hinge moment in history, people tell me, uh, led to us less and less becoming hunters and gatherers and more and more becoming agriculturalists. Now there were societies or lands in the world um, that uh, went into this a lot later, Australia of course, um, it was um, predominantly still a hunter-gatherer system that um, was widespread across Australia, uh, there are pockets of agriculture still, or aquaculture even, um, that uh, have been discovered and have been known about in Australia all along. Um, one is um, Eddie Marbo, which was a huge case. Have you ever seen the castle? Oh, the castle. You have to say the castle, not the castle. Have you ever seen the castle? You know, that was kind of. Uh, almost a, um, a, a a version of the Marbo case. Um, Eddie Marbo, uh, who had who won a native title case here in Australia, uh, he was an agriculturalist. You know, his people had been agriculturalists um, for a long time. And uh, you know, before Europeans got here, so there was agriculture here in Australia and New Guinea. Uh, uh, where, uh, when people first came to Australia, Australia and New Guinea were all the one land. You know, um, it's only kind of recently that um, it has split into well three lands, mainly Tasmania, uh, mainland Australia, and New Guinea. Uh, but in any case. And now where did Eddie come from? Up, up near in the Torres Strait? Maybe Torres Strait Islander? All those islands in the Torres Strait, they would have been just part of mainland Sahul, I believe is uh, what we call the old Australia before the uh, Ice Age, the last Ice Age ended and flooded uh, low-lying areas, creating New Guinea, mainland Australia, Tasmania, and a whole lot of islands all around the place. Those islands would have all just been part of the landscape, you know. Um, okay, so Eddie Mabo was an agriculturalist. They found, um, uh, they have found up in the Grampians here, down south, uh, evidence of an aquaculture that some indigenous Australians were practicing before Europeans got here. So these are tiny little pockets of agriculturalism uh, here in Australia. Oh, um, but 
um, whichever way you slice it, um, Australia, uh, Indigenous Australians on the mainland of Australia were very much um, hunter-gatherers. It was still a hunter-gatherer society. The exception doesn't make the rule. Now, up in New Guinea, massive agriculturalists, same people, same people. So it's, it's kind of a little bit dictated by a certain artificial intelligence, which in this case is um, <laughs> the landscape you're living in and um, and other factors too, you know, but um, New Guinea's a fascinating, I, I, I re read, you know, I listened to an audio book, Guns, Germs and Steel, and New Guinea is probably um, the most interesting uh, test case, uh, you know, like um, place to study, to understand all sorts of things like um, how different cultures and languages uh, form in, a, in amongst the people, um, and you know, how domestication of plants happened around the world because uh, just a just a stunning diversity of um, plants and um, practices and uh, languages and cultures all found in New Guinea. New Guinea seems to me far more interesting than, for example, North America and South America put together for some of this sort of stuff. You know, something really to study, New Guinea. Um, I think mainland Australia, fascinating. Look, every land is fascinating in different ways. Uh, but um, uh, the, the interesting thing, I think, though, is um, that when a, a, when a hinge moment happens in history, uh, such as happened when various human groups domesticated plants and animals, for example, whether that be in New Guinea or over in Ethiopia, which is another place I study a lot, because Ethiopia is a very, very interesting place too at the moment. I enjoy studying that more than I enjoy studying, once again, the United States of America or even Australia, uh, because it's um, the politics of what is happening in Ethiopia at the moment. Um, is more interesting, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But essentially, the constitution of Ethiopia is one that defines um, a state called Ethiopia. This is the one that's been in place for a long time. And I think it was designed by, you know, the architect of it was uh, and the ex-Prime Minister, Meles. Um, if you speak to an Ethiopian, they seem to say Melesh. You know, but I'm not going to change my accent for every single country I, I um, talk about. You know, otherwise, I'll be talking about the Germans one day and they'll all be forcing me to say Wagner and Bach. You know, I'm not, not going to spit all over my phone just to be <laughs> culturally correct. You know, so anyway, this guy, Mellis, uh, he designed a system by the look of it uh, that was a single state. A state, uh, I had to kind of look up what the difference between a state and a nation is actually, uh, <laughs> because um, yeah, it gets a little bit tricky what the difference between those two words are. Uh, but a state is a, a government system, you know, a sort of like 
a place like Australia has a sing is a single state uh, because we do have a single um, system of government. Um, but we are many, many nations within that state. Not a lot of, uh, a, you know, but whether we are many, many nations or not um, depends on your definition of nation. You know, Pauline Hanson, who is a politician here in Australia, would argue there's only one nation here. And the reason for that is she defines, I think, a nation as being equivalent to a state, you know. But then again, why would you have two different words if that's the case? You know? But I think she'd like to, um, yeah, Pauline Hanson, um, look, when she says we are one nation here in Australia, I think that's a statement of opposition to the fact that a lot of people uh, have in their heads that it's true that we are many nations, you know, all the indigenous nations for a start, you know. And, and then what we call, what we call the European Australian nation, you know. Um, uh, but still one state. Just a second, I've got this little, you know, battery low thing. I've got it on the charger. Um, excuse me for a sec. But Ethiopia, here we go, they should be charging it. Ethiopia, that's an interesting case because um, uh, in what's called their ethnic federalism, which was their system of government, their constitution up until recently, um, it was written down that um, essentially, I think, that Ethiopia should be one state, you know, one system of government, one uh, ruling party and all that sort of thing, um, and one army, one air force, one national army and one national air force, of course. Militia everywhere, but you know. Um, but one state, but many nations. So <laughs> this is where it gets confusing. The different states within Ethiopia, I would call them different nations within Ethiopia. See, that gets very confusing because people use these two words, nation and state, so interchangeably yeah, but this is a semantic point, you know. But I think for the purposes of this episode, I'll define a state the way I tend to see it defined in dictionaries, um, being the way the thing is governed, you know, the laws and all that sort of, the official laws, you know. Who's in charge of the police force, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So in Ethiopia, there is a national government, you know. And, um, but the interesting thing about Ethiopia is all of what they call their states, which I would call nations. So it's kind of, a, Ethiopia is kind of a united nations, you know. So here's where it gets tricky with the language, doesn't it? Uh, not the UN. <laughs> um, but it's a series of independent nations, the way I would put it. Um, and, uh, and, um, but all, you know, you know that thing where, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. It's better to, for a whole lot of people to either federate or, you know, um, whatever. A whole lot of different states, or, you know, what we call states, um, groups, um, to all come together and still be different, but all be united sort of thing for practical reasons, you know. Because united, you're a lot stronger than if you're not. Anyway, so, um, the way I um, sort of, interpret the way Ethiopia was set up by this guy called Melis was that it was essentially a, a set of nations 
Uh, now, Tigray, Amhara, Oromo, Oromia, you know, and all these other nations. Um, but they all agreed, so to speak, uh, maybe per force, <laughs> Uh, to a certain extent, they didn't have much choice. Um, they all agreed to kind of come together as a federation, you know. And, and, and that federation, which was called an ethnic federation, was what I would call a state. You know? Okay, so a, I, I think Ethiopia used to be a state with many nations, because it wasn't just those three groupings that I talked about. Um, now, the interesting thing is, um, uh, along came a Prime Minister who um, was a bit of a Pauline Hanson, really, but a lefty version, and his name is Abiy Ahmed, and they're not going to spit on my phone for you. You're not going to say Ahmed, you know. It's Ahmed, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, only because I, I'm just sick of cleaning my phone. You know, I'm not going to say Bach, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, Abby um, has the clear opinion uh, that he's allowed to um, drive through with this gun. <laughs> that um, that uh, Ethiopia should be one state, but also one nation, a line the state and the nation. Yeah, that's his idea. Well, he's not the first to think of that. Pauline Hanson here in Australia has. Now, this has nothing to do with left and right, you know, because Pauline Hanson's right wing and Abby Ahmed is left wing, you know. Um, these, this, is, this is way above left and right politics. Um, this is the idea. Uh, this is the thing where you have this idea that we should all be united as one people, yeah. Not just united under one system of um, laws, yeah, such as would allow people to have different cultures within that one system. One system, but everyone is allowed to be themselves, you know, which sounds ideal to me. One system, you get all the benefits of a single system, all the efficiencies and effectiveness and all of that. Um, but under that one system, you have every area or every different groupings of people they're allowed to be themselves still so in australia that would be you know um the state of australia but a state of australia now it's messy here's the problem which still allows all the indigenous nations of australia to still be themselves um uh, but still have um, all the benefits of statehood, you know? Now, that's the way I would like Australia to be. One state, many nations. But Pauline Hanson, you know, she um, thinks one state, one nation, which would be something of a cultural genocide in the end. You know, there's no two ways around it for all the indigenous mobs in Australia. I actually philosophically take it even further to say that, you know, uh, you should almost have a Greek nation here, and an Italian nation, and an, an Islamic nation, um, you know, even some religious nations, you know. But the trouble with this is, even though philosophically I agree with that, in a practical way, that, you know, ends up 
with fighting. And this is what the problem with Ethiopia has been, I think, as far as I can tell, for 3,000 years. You've got many nations in the one area, the one geographical area, you know, and ever since Ethiopia sort of achieved uh, statehood, you've got many ethnic groups or many nations under one state, and you never go more than about 20 years without a major conflict breaking out. You know? So to a certain extent, um, the uh, utopia of a single state with many nations, as Meles was trying to put in place by the look of it, maybe he had a goal to take it even further. I don't know what that goal was, but the way he had designed this ethnic federalism he had was you know, a recipe for you know, conflict to break out again every 20 years or so, 30 years. Maybe for the last 3,000 years, um, there's been a mass slaughter in Ethiopia and probably that was going to continue forever and probably it will continue forever. They never go for much longer than that before a mass slaughter in Ethiopia because they have many nations. So that's the downside of many nations. Even though I, you know, even if you have one state and many nations or uh, look a long time ago, those many nations were independent nations, essentially tribes. All right, there you go before even the invention of statehood as we understand it these days, which is kind of a civic kind of idea coming from the ancient Greeks and all that sort of stuff. Right, um, so um, there's a downside um, to having diversity of culture in a land, I think, uh, because, you know, as Andrew Bolt, our conservative commentator here in Australia says, no tribes in Australia. We are all one. And what he means by that is not one. We've already got one state, so he's not talking about that. He's talking about none of this many nations business. He's on Pauline Hansen's side now, but in a right-wing way, you know. So he's envisaging a single state, which is also a single nation, that is rather conservative. Whereas um, Dr. Abiy Ahmed over in um, Ethiopia, he's imagining the same thing. Um, single state which now becomes a single nation um all speaking the same language in the end and all that sort of stuff probably amhara over there english here you know the you know, genocide of all the independent languages so all the most of the india the indigenous languages would all die off uh, under this model and the um, various languages in ethiopia that are not the lingua franca franca of what um you know, would be, the Ethiopian language would be Amharan. Uh, all those other little languages would die off. And it happened in Italy too. You know, there became a standardised Italian that grew up, uh, that, that, you know, came with um, the formation of the Italian state. And all the independent Italian languages kind of died. That's what happens. And culture dies, you know. Um, look, it doesn't quite die off, but it dies off a lot. You know, so you still get um, regional variations in Italy. And we still have regional um, variations in Australia between, uh, like, for example, in the Northern Territory uh, versus down here in the southeast of Australia, around you know, Victoria and New South Wales. Um, there is a, you know, the, the type of nations we have in those two different areas are very different. Uh, Northern Territory Indigenous Australians are very different from Southeastern Indigenous Australians. So you have all these nations anyway, 
and and over in Ethiopia you have this um, uh, this uh, prime minister at present who um, wants to you know have one state uh, one nation he's a one nation kind of guy um, but in a very left-wing way so this has nothing to do with left and right politics um, so uh, you know commentators influences on uh, social media who, are all, who always try and boil everything down to conservatives versus progressives or whatever you might call it lefts versus rights you know lefties versus nazis and all this sort of stuff people who always speak in that sort of language they would not be able to they would not be able to i think create an episode like i'm creating now i'm thinking of a couple of um uh, commentators on youtube that always boil everything down to left versus right and they wouldn't be able to make this episode because this episode is about um uh statehood you know whether statehood and nationhood should be aligned it's got nothing to do with left and right politics because you can align those things in a left way or a right way all right so that's that and the united states of america now there's another interesting one now Many nations in Australia, in the United States, you know, got the Apache Nation, the Cherokee Nation, all that. Yeah, you clearly have many nations. The First Nations people, that's where the word um, hops into that argument. Um, so, many nations, but you've also got the, okay, you've got a lot of, all, I would call all the states in America nations as well, in a way, in the sen to the extent that they have different cultures. Um, so, you know, some of the southern states have got a very different culture to some of the northern states. Pennsylvania versus Alabama, you know. Um, even the Europeans within those states have very different cultures. Um, north versus south, that's why they had civil war. You know? And the civil war wasn't to do with who hated slavery and who didn't, you know. Slavery's a whole other thing, you know. Slavery, um, the abolition of slavery uh, was a kind of was was kind of um, dictated by a certain artificial artificial intelligence, I think, which was the Industrial Revolution. We, you remember, as I mentioned, we um, invented uh, agriculture. Let's say, you know, the domestication of animals and plants. Um, but what happened there? As soon as we do, we did that. That um, that that structure that we built took on a yeah took on a life of its own and. For example, when we domesticated wheat, wheat um, attained a certain artificial intelligence and domesticated us. You know, because we became trapped. Uh, we, we couldn't wander anymore. We had to stay close to our wheat to protect it or we'd starve. So we became slaves to the wheat. So we domesticated wheat, but then the wheat, in a sense, took on um, a uh, an artificial intelligence and power the wheat started to exert power upon us and um, forced us to stay close to it and uh, forced us to arrange ourselves in villages and all that sort of stuff so the very process that we invented and we thought we were so smart started to dictate terms to us and and tell us what sort of society we should have and the same goes for the Industrial Revolution. You know, before the Industrial Revolution, there wasn't a, a people on the planet, really, who had been engaged in agriculture, um, who didn't think slavery was a good idea, a bad idea. Uh, sorry, every... I'll put that another way. Um, most societies in the world thought slavery was a great idea.
uh, totally into it, you know. Um, no one's got moral authority when it comes to that. But the Industrial Revolution, we invented that and thought that was a really good idea because it seemed very efficient. But it turned around and gained, a, you know, and gained a certain amount of artificial intelligence of its own. And it said, you don't know it yet, humans. You've just invented me. You know, industrialization. You've just invented me. I am going to force you to give up your slaves. And you don't even know that's coming. You know? But it's coming. You know, because industrialization kind of forces that situation because it'll alter your economic structures such that you don't need slaves anymore. And, and you'll start saying that, oh, you know, you've become enlightened and all that sort of stuff. But no, no, no. It's just because you now have a different means of production and so on and so forth. So, you know, we're going to... I, industrialization, um, I've already decided your future. And your future is going to include a certain amount of enlightenment that I will dictate to you. Um, and when you start to have all these, you know, brainwaves about better ways of doing things, you're going to, you know, there's going to be guys called Marx and everything coming along and... Um, all these great economists and everything saying, oh, we've just thought of a better way of doing things, you know? But it's not going to be that, you know? The die has been cast. Um, if Marx had never been born, someone else would have had those thoughts because I've already decided. My name is Industrialization and I am your dictator. I have artificial intelligence and you are going to fall in line with what I think is a good idea. And what I think is a good idea is that slavery should be abolished because we don't need it in an industrialized world. Um, so that's a certain artificial intelligence, you know. Now, the trend with, um, you know, these are hinge moments in history. Another hinge moment, you know, like agriculturalism, the invention of the wheel, <laughs> um, industrialization, um, the harnessing of fire, you know, even before industrialization, you know. These things, um, as soon as we invent these things, you know, that's the chicken. But the egg is that um, these, you know, fire, for example, started telling us it, it, it obtained an artificial intelligence of itself. The process of us, you know, having, um, we became dependent on it. You know? And it changed us and turned us into humans, really, the fire one. And each of these steps turned, make us more human in a way. Um, but... The, the, big, the big hinge moment on at the moment is the information age. Now, lately, you know, uh, the industrialization brought about this idea of the state, you know, in the modern state. And, um, but we still had this idea of the ancient nations, you know, um, depending on how you define these things, you know what I mean? But I'm, I'm defining it that way, you know. But take Italy, for example. Um, all right, you had all these city-states, you know. Um, what were they, the two Sicilies and, you know, Calabria and Genoa and Venice and all these different places. They were all independent-ish sort of systems. Look, the ones up north were controlled by Austria and the ones down south were kind of, they used to be Greek, you know, but these are all city-states. Back in the ancient times, there was no Greece, but there was Greece everywhere, if you know what I mean. Um, there was Greece all the way across to Spain, um, all the great names in ancient Greece, Pythagoras and Archimedes, you know, I think Archimedes lived in what we call Sicily now, and uh, never went to what we call Greece now, and Pythagoras, did he come from Calabria in Italy, what we call Calabria in Italy now, he was just Greek, no one says he's Italian, 
and yet he never went to what we call Greece today. So these ideas that we have now of states like Greece and Australia and Ethiopia, these are artificial constructs and very recent ones too. Um, but, and, and Greece extended, you know, Greece was um, like a structure. Greece was wherever there was Greekness, you know, back then. It was like frogs, Aristotle called it frogs around a pond, around the Mediterranean, all the way across to Spain and North Africa and all that sort of stuff, little Greek places, you know, um, which eventually became Roman places too. Uh, but um, the modern state, you know, which I understand that as, um, you know, the thing that grew out of um, industrialization and the French Revolution, the English Revolution and the American Revolution and everything else that's gone on in the last 300 years. Um, the modern state is, was dictated to us by a certain amount of artificial intelligence embedded in industrialization. Industrialization told us what we were going to do and then we duly um, did what we were told. And we started creating states because they were more efficient in the new world of industrialization. Um, but we still had this legacy of nations everywhere. So when Europeans came to Australia and tried to turn the whole damn thing into a state, a single state, and we, we actually sort of succeeded in doing that, um, remnants of the original nations survived. So right now we have in Australia a single state. I think you know, it's hard to argue against that. Um, you know, if you murder someone, you're going to be tried in a, what we call an Australian court by the Australian state, you know. Um, so even if you're Indigenous, no matter what mob you're from. Um, but we do, even though we only have a single state, we do have many nations. You know, Wurundjeri. I mean, I'm, on, I'm, I'm in the... I'm, where I'm parked here, I'm in Wurundjeri territory here, you know. Uh, I'm within the state of Australia, but I'm within the land that originally belonged to the nation of Wurundjeri people. And to a certain extent, if I was a Wurundjeri guy and I was sitting right here, I'd say, this is all mine. And yet it's all, it all belongs to European Australians in a different way. You know, the, every square inch of the land here kind of belongs to two people at once. Isn't that tricky? You know, like my backyard. Um, that um, kind of belongs to a Wurundjeri guy walking past my house in one way, you know, in a national sense. Um, but it belongs to me in the sense of Australia being a state. You know, so we've got this awkward um, double ownership problem going on here sort of thing. And, and that's why, and, it, and it's messy to have it like that. Now, I don't mind the mess. Um, philosophically, I think um, I'd rather, I think it's right to do the hard job of having a messy misalignment of nation and state, much like Melis in Ethiopia was designing. He had a messy system. Philosophically, I think this is a good system because it's the right thing to do by cultures, you know. Otherwise, you've got genocide, whichever way you slice it. But Melis, he said, let's have one state. I'm going to try and do both. I'm going to try and be sophisticated. That's what Meles was doing, I think. And let's try and have one state and many nations, but make that formal. You see, in Australia, we've got the same system, one state, many nations, but the many nations are informal. They're opposed strongly. 
by many, many people like Pauline Hanson and Andrew Bolt, and a lot of people on the left as well, you know, because they see that there lies trouble, having many tribes in one land, eventually yeah, there's going to be fights. You know? But philosophically, I think um, it's the right thing to do to try and navigate that messiness. But I may change my mind if a civil war breaks out. So there's no really good solution. You can either have genocide and unity to a certain extent and align your state with your nation, you know, create one nation within your state. You can either do that and, um, and kind of <sighs> try and meet your maker when you die, knowing that you have created genocide of if not the actual human beings who did not want to be part of that single state, then at least their culture and their language and everything else, you know. It's awful what happens when you try and align a state to a nation. It's terrible. And it's a tragedy. Uh, but then again, it's a tragedy to not do that. As um, probably Socrates said, um, man is divided against himself. He noticed that, Socrates. Um, there's downsides to each side of the equation, whichever, whatever you want. So to that extent, Abby is doing the right thing and the wrong thing at the same time. He's doing the right thing, as Pauline, under Pauline Hanson would understand it, in noticing that uh, in 3,000 years, Ethiopia has been constantly riven by war between the tribes. You know, they all seem to be getting along. You know, I often hear people from Ethiopia or whatever saying, oh, you know, before Dr. Abby came along, people were living beautifully together and all that sort of stuff, Muslims and Christians. It was all lovely. But then, you know, this war broke out recently. I said, oh, that was all bullshit, wasn't it? You know, because they've been living together in peace, all right, just waiting till the next conflict. And then, you know, there's people um, who were car-sharing their kids to school you know this bloke and that bloke next door to each other and suddenly one of them's gone next door and killed the other one because he hated him all along you know but um and this happened in yugoslavia too you know you had people you know bosnian serbs and you know croatians and all this all these people you know living next to each other and, and um and they were friends for 30 years you know their children used to play together in the street and all that sort of stuff and then suddenly the the match was lit and people were going next door with and slaughtering their next door neighbors who were their friends as far as it looked to any outsider it's nuts you know and that's ethiopia to a large extent too um now um so it's messy to try and um imagine because all political systems are imagined systems i think marx said that and probably a few other people too and john lennon as well who picked up on a lot of that as well imagined you know, you know isn't that a um you know my goddaughter identified that as a fairly um brutal anarchist song you know and she's right mm. um but um you you want to um, imagining a, a system that is um, one state and many nations is um, I think a philosophically moral kind of um, idea to hold in your head, but it's got some practical problems. 
Um, because you're going to end up with death. One state, one nation. Well, that has its pluses and minuses. All right, its minuses, obviously, um, you're going to get death again. Uh, but eventually, you end up something like a Pax Romana. You know, you end up with a, a unified state where people are culturally unified. You know, and everybody's going to get fish and chips on Friday in right across Australia, whether their ancestors were Indigenous Australian. <laughs> yeah, and they're all wearing thongs too, you know. And um, they've got the, uh, they go, they're off to the cricket for Boxing Day, you know, because of the, um, and all this sort of stuff, you know, with the jumping kangaroo, with the um, boxing kangaroo and all this sort of stuff, you know. Um, okay, so, well, I th I th in essence, I think um, there's downsides and upsides to both sides. Um, and it's a question of what's, what's the right thing to do in a place like Ethiopia or Australia, for example, or indeed in Israel slash Palestine. Because, see, Israel is one state with two, at least, two clear nations inside it, you know, the nation of Israel and the nation of Palestine. You know, a lot of people think that that should be um, split into two states. Um, so, now, there's a new artificial intelligence in town. Uh, in town, and and that is the information age. You know, this is the next um, hinge moment in history along the way. We invented the information age, and we like to feel clever about that. But the information age is has already um, acquired its own artificial intelligence, and it is starting to boss us around and tell us what we're going to have in the future. Um, we don't have much agency in that. Um, you know, just like when we invented fire and thought ourselves very clever, fire started telling us what to do. You know, it started trapping us around itself. You know, um, do you know back when fire was first invented, um, it was so hard to start a fire that um, we had sentries. You know, people, you know, sort of very primitive people used to try and keep the fire alight day and night. Now who's in charge of who there? That's like in my house. The cat's in charge. You know, um, the in in ancient times, in um, these hunter-gatherer mobs, fire was in charge because, um, you know, just like I walk around picking up after my cat, including it, picking up its droppings, um, there were humans desperately staying awake all night on sentry duty, keeping the fire alight. The fire was keeping the people trapped. It gained an artificial intelligence of its own, the fire, and dictated that um, that tribes would start to coalesce a lot more than they were before around the fire, around the campfire, around the cave. All right. And then, um, you know, same thing. Um, we, um, well, Greek thought that was another great invention, but that started to gain a life of its own too. You know, Greek thought, you know, um, formalized thinking, which is what the, the great gift of the Greeks uh, is to humanity, apparently, but it trapped us in another way. Um, and um, that's too hard, that's beyond me. I mean, I've talked about that a lot, but yeah. Greek thought is more um, more cerebral. Um, you know, it's easier to talk about the great hinge moments like fire, um, agriculture, um, 
industrial revolution, you know, industrialization, information age, and all that sort of thing. The information age really started with the telephone and the radio, really, fireside chats, you know. Um, uh, but, um, uh, but, you know, right alongside those steps, uh, um, you know, the technological and scientific revolution as well, um, is just what I'd call Greek thought. I reckon that's right up there with fire. You know, a fire was lit in our heads, but then that fire started to trap us into uh, certain ways of behaving towards each other. It got rid of kings, for example, you know, and started to take us down a path of saying, hey, I just realized we don't need a king. We don't even need a god. You know, that was revolutionary, as every bit as revolutionary as um, fire. You know, um, oh my God, um, royalty kingship, all that sort of stuff, that's no different from the way chimpanzees organise themselves in chimpanzee clans. There's always, a, there's always a king of the chimpanzees in a chimpanzee clan. We've been doing that all along. And we've been saying, we, you know, and we've tricked ourselves because we've been giving the king a beautiful gold crown and wonderful robes and, you know, all that sort of stuff and saying, this is very sophisticated, but no, it just looks sophisticated because um, we made the crown really shiny. And the robes were really purple and made um, magnificent castles and all that sort of thing. But we're doing what the chimpanzees were doing all along. And this is what the Greeks did. They said, we, you don't actually need that. Yeah? The people, we the people, um, can um, design systems um, and look after ourselves um, as if there were no gods. Yeah, and that was massive, you know. But that gained a certain artificial intelligence of its own, such that when they tried to even bring back kings and all that sort of stuff, you know, like, because, you know, that spread to the Roman Empire and everything, and we had an open society right across Europe with Rome and all that sort of stuff. And when all that died off, um, and um, the old Roman Empire retreated into a feudal system with kings again, all that sort of stuff went backwards what we call the dark ages in some ways we were going forwards during that period in other ways by the way we were inventing things then that the romans never thought of we invented um the harness for a bullock which massively changed things these are hinge moments you know you got to work out what the farts are and the thunderstorms are <laughs> as my uh wife's uncle says you know some things are farts and some some things are thunderstorms you know um you know, just the invention of the harness, you know, and the plough, <laughs> um, that can be a bigger deal than all the greatest kings of that era. Because the harness, the harness, you know, such that you can now do agriculture better, is having a much more massive impact than any king of, of, of that time, you know. Uh, you just don't know it, you know. These are the artificial intelligences um, built into our inventions, you know. And um, same goes, you know, when Newton, you know, um, invented calculus, for example, um, that, that was destined to change the world forever. And that was much bigger than anything that any great king was doing. That was going to have a much more major impact on the world than anything any great king of the time was doing. You know, there was a guy, John Harrison, who just invented a clock, an accurate clock that could stay accurate on, on the high seas. And he was having he was having a bigger impact on the world than his own king. And he was just a bloke in his little fat in his in his little um workshop, you know. And he enabled Captain Cook to be the greatest uh, navigator in history and all this sort of stuff. It's a, it's a, there's a book called Longitude. It's a long story, but you know you got to work out what the farts are and what the thunderstorms are. You know, well, I mean, what what are the f farts and thunderstorms right now in the modern age? Donald Trump, 
He's a fart, as far as I can see. The current impeachment process that's going on, just concluded by the way, and it failed again. These are farts, you know, I think. The thunderstorm is, you know, for example, coronavirus, that might end up a thunderstorm, because that's, that's gonna change the way the world works, maybe. You know, unless we can really knock it off, but it looks like we're not going to totally knock it off. Um, you know, maybe we'll go back to normal and might end up a bit of a fart after all. Um, what other thunderstorms? Well, with Donald Trump, Donald Trump isn't a thunderstorm. He's a fart. Um, but um, the fact that 74 million people voted for him, that's a thunderstorm. You know, they're, they're, they're separating the farts from the thunder. Now, Hitler, fart or thunderstorm? Well, you know, Napoleon, I think, was a one-man thunderstorm as was Alexander and as was Julius Caesar. I kind of think Hitler might have been a bit of a fart. Um, believe it or not, um, uh, I don't think he's in the same category as uh, Napoleon. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't, don't want to explain that too much, but um, I think a lot of the elite Germans of the time, I, you know, I picked up this in Biggles books, you know. Biggles, you know, used to capture Germans, over, you know, who had Nazis who had escaped to Uruguay. It's all fiction and you know all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> Captain W. E. Johns, he had his high moments and his low moments, but he was very insightful as otherwise. Um, uh, you know, he's a dead set racist as well, but it doesn't mean he didn't have um, his finger on the pulse in other ways. He knew, you know, he had been there as a, you know, uh, in the in the middle of the war as an air force pilot and all that sort of stuff. So he was accurate, deadly accurate on the feel of all of that. You know, so just because he's a racist doesn't mean there isn't something to be learned from him. Anyway, he used to capture Biggles, you know, his character, uh, used to capture Nazis and ask him, well, you're a supporter of Hitler. Oh, don't talk to me about him, you know, would say the um, imperious, uh, you know, German from one of the old families, you know, of German, uh, Germany. He'd say he was a useful tool, you know, at the time. Uh, we have uh, we have always had our sights on much, something much bigger than what Hitler was aiming for. You know, so Hitler might have been a fart. You know. All right, uh, but Napoleon, Napoleon, I think was a thunderstorm. But um, but uh, the interesting thing I think at the moment, um, just you know, my mind is just um, uh, um, doing this. Uh, what did the what did that guy in the sixties call it? Um, you know, free traveling, what is it? The mind, just let your mind travel. Um, the information age, the information age. I think the information age is just like fire and Greek thought and industrialization, all that sort of stuff. It's already decided to a very large extent our future and we haven't got much agency in it. But the funny thing is, it's hard to tell which way, uh, what what the information age has got on its mind. You know, in a place like, um, yeah, you know, for example, the industrialization took us on our first um, steps towards globalization, you might say. You know, because, for example, in Italy, you had all the little city-states, as you might call them, all coming together as a state. So that's a conglomer conglomeration, um, which is kind of a local um, globalization of Italy. And um, the same effect was seen all over the world in Ethiopia and lots of other places. So I like to talk about Ethiopia because I know a lot about it because my goddaughter has telling me, been telling me a lot about it. And none of my episodes that have a title with the word Ethiopia in it are about Ethiopia. You know, my goddaughter could have met someone from Botswana and be having just as fascinating, you know, and they'd all be sprinkled with examples from Botswana. It's not about Ethiopia itself, all of this, you know. Um, it's just that Ethiopia is a very handy example because it's actually fascinating because explicitly 
Melis, the previous person, uh, Prime Minister, uh, created a state with many nations under it, explicitly, you know. Whereas Australia tried to just, uh, here in Australia, we tried to um, railroad a state that was a single nation in, you know, by creating a constitution that was a bit like a Bible that said, it is so, you know, it is written, you know, but it hasn't come off. You know, we've got native title all over Australia. Uh, what happens is, some once a fire is lit, like Greek thought, for example, you know, the classical world, um, when it all crashes, it, it doesn't completely crash. You know, so even you know these ideas that that fire lit, such as get rid of the kings because they're just chimps in disguise, um, and you know bring in democracy and all this sort of stuff and republicanism and all these sorts of ideas of organising ourselves without needing to refer to a god or a king or a god king, you know, fantastically amazing um, uh, results from Greek thought. Um, when all that comes along, you know, it, it, that, for example, suffered a collapse when Rome collapsed. Rome collapsed. And it seems to have all gone. But it stays in the heads. It doesn't die altogether. People remember, I remember something good. Well, I think it was good anyway. We did go backwards into the Dark Ages, but then you have a renaissance and it all comes back. We are living in Rome again now. We are living in Greece and Rome now. You know, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen, essentially, right here in Australia. Rome never died. It came back. And so did Greece, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, okay, so the information age, what's that going to do to us? Well, I think it's already decided what it's going to do to us, and it's going to change things. I don't know how. And now, it could... Um, just be the next step along from industrialization and um, turn the whole world into a single state with, in the first instance, many nations under it. A single world state with many nations. So I imagine that I think there's 192 um, what we call states in the world. Some people call them nations, but they're not really nations, are they? See, um, I, I, I googled um, earlier and there's something like 6,400 nations in the world under the 192 states. Um, and some of them, like the Rohingya, are a stateless nation. You know, it's bizarre. Um, but 6,400 nations in the world at the moment, um, 192 states. All right, imagine if the information age brings in a single world government. Okay, that's been discussed a lot. Now, some people on the right would like that, and some people on the left would like that too, for different reasons. So this is not a left-right thing. All right, what have we got there? We've got a single world state. So then all the 192 states that we currently call states they will become sort of nations and then all the nations within those 192 states will become sub-nations so you know you would you know you can imagine a single world state with a single world government and that just being imposed but that wouldn't stop um, Australians having a different character to Ethiopians and so on um, so you would sort of have 192 identifiable nations under that state, and then you would have sub-nations under those nations. Fascinating, you know. Where do you go to from there? Well, the information age, I think, and I'll finish off here because, you know, I'm just getting hot. <laughs> the information age, I think, could... has the power to force the whole world to become a single state and a single nation, but it also has the wherewithal to fragment everything back to nations because you could do that you know you can unravel everything like you could even unravel 
representative government. You know, because theoretically we could have a referendum on everything at the moment. Um, we, the only reason representative government um, started was because it was impractical to get everyone to vote. So you used to get a representative to vote for our whole community, which is what we've got in Australia. But we don't need that anymore in the information age. You can make an app to get everyone to vote again. You know, we don't need to be like in Athens, where everyone actually had to physically put a little pebble into a um, into a jar and see, you know, white pebble or a black pebble, and see who voted what. You know, um, so the information age could take us two different ways. It could utterly fragment everything, and it can utterly um, globalize everything, or it could do a combination of both things. But look, all in all, this whole episode has been just a discussion on the interesting. Um, Thing that happens in your own head when you suddenly uh, sort of start considering um, the difference in the words and what they mean, and those words being nation and state. And if you start to find some difference in the meaning of those two words, the whole world, you know, you start to be able to talk about the whole world in a certain way that you couldn't before. That's what I want to say. So the United Nations of America... See, they call themselves the United States of America, but I would call all those things nations. You know, Texas, you know, Montana, Alabama. You know, they're all nations, aren't they? But then again, within those nations and going across their borders are these other nations like Apache, Cherokee, you know? It's layer upon layer. It's all messy. Can you handle that mess? Well, Pauline Hanson can't. That's why she goes for one nation. I actually think we should try and um, live with the mess somehow, but there's a danger there, and Pauline Hanson doesn't like that. Uh, I'll leave it at that, but I'm into Indigenous rights on that level. Um, I actually think Australia should go stay with the Mellis system, which is what we had anyway. He probably, you know, well, he was before Australia was constructed. Uh, no, sorry, he wasn't. He was very recent. I was thinking of um, a few um, people before. Australia. I was thinking of some people, don't worry about who they are. Tedros, Johannes, and all that sort of stuff. All right, so I think Australia should... I think we should... We're going down a path at the moment that's trying the, trying to do the messy thing of having a single state and many nations. We're trying to do that. We're trying to allow Indigenous rights and, you know, via uh, things like native title and all that sort of stuff. People like Andrew Bolt and Pauline Hanson hate this sort of stuff. Um, but I, I think we should pursue it even though it's dangerous, messy, and could cause conflict and death, eventually, and put us on a slippery slide to fragmentation, I think it's the right and moral thing to do that, to do the messy thing, um, because the alternative is one nation and one state, all beautifully aligned, but all the diversity gone, the genocide of the individual indigenous nations and their languages and everything else. You know, such that any and, and the the only thing that will survive from those things is something ornamental and not real. You know, they'd be tourist attractions. You know, um, you go to a you know they become tourist attractions. The different nations of Australia. I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right, that was just a um, uh, stream of consciousness. <laughs> that was the word I was trying to think of before. Well, the phrase. <laughs>